Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Azair Yunus and today we're going to be talking about Pakistan's startup ecosystem and whether this is the end of the boom in, in the startup ecosystem. We've had two very negative stories over the last 10 days or so, starting with uh, the spectacular collapse of Airlift, uh, the, the poster child, so to speak, of Pakistan's startup ecosystem in a way, um, and the startup basically said that it's wrapping up its operations because it just couldn't get get to the next funding round. And just a couple of days ago, to me at least, the worst case scenario was realized, which is fraud in the startup ecosystem. We've had a story about TAG sort of uh, disclosing or being disclosed that TAG's uh, founders, et cetera, were engaged in fraud and the State Bank of Pakistan sort of, you know, took notice, et cetera. And that is the story of the day as well. So two big stories, TAG also raised at $100 million valuation, and that casts a cloud on the ecosystem as a whole especially at a time when global liquidity is drying up around the world. Um, and, and it must be noted that this froth is not unique to Pakistan. This weak due diligence is not unique to Pakistan. It's just that it's come at the at the worst time for the country and the startup ecosystem. So to talk about this, I have the honor of hosting Ali Farid Khwaja. He's chairman of K-Trade Securities and has over a decade-long experience in capital markets and the technology sector. So Ali, thank you for taking out the time today. And, and you've been around the block for long enough to know this is not the first run around this you know, doomsday scenario. But uh, let's start by hearing your perspective on Airlift, the startup ecosystem, and and what's been the impact of these two big negative stories uh, in the last 10 days or so? Thank you, Uzair. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And, um, um, and yes, as you said that, um, and you wrote an article about it as well, that winter is truly here in the startup ecosystem. And while tragic and sad, I don't think it's, unex it's unexpected. Um, I think that there was very little due diligence. There was over exuberance. And um, a lot of these business models were based on the assumption that capital will continue to flow uh, for a longer time period, which is uncharacteristic of both Pakistan as well as emerging markets. So, which was a wrong assumption. And um, given the fact that now that we are, the global economy is in a shaky position and might go into a recession, um, and it does look likely that that flow of capital which was coming to Pakistan will pause for a longer time period. It looks quite likely that not just these two startups, but many more might not be able to survive. So yes, um, uh, the cycle which we saw for a couple of years seems to have come to a pause. And so this was a thing, right? You saw through COVID a lot of froth. I remember talking to people in the United States who would say, you know, we're doing a funding round and actually investors would call and email us to be part of the funding round even after it was closed. Um, so they were literally writing blank checks, right? That they were money was looking for a place to go and this was exciting. And because travel had stopped, it was all in Zoom. So due diligence that typically is in-person, you hire risk firms, agencies to look into the background of people. Even in the US, that was not happening. And of course, emerging and frontier markets, including Pakistan, we saw from your point of view, like what were the key sort of, you know, failures, so to speak, on the investor side, right? Because this is risk capital and investors typically, these types of investors, at least the belief usually is that are 
very disciplined and sophisticated in terms of how they look at a business value proposition and things like that. But clearly something went wrong. So from your point of view, what started going wrong and what point um, and what are the lessons learned from from this from this down cycle now? You know, to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't be uh, too critical of both both Pakistan or Pakistani entrepreneurs as well as the investors. First, we have to put in perspective what kind of capital was this like people who were investing what were the objectives most of the people who were investing um, were for them this investment was similar to their investments in crypto it was a high risk investment generally as in most people who are investing when they think about vc investment they they're aware that 95 percent of their start of, of startups fail so at least the money which was coming from the us uh, that money was the excess risk capital, the same capital which they would put in a Shiba Inu or a meme coin. So, so, so if it goes down to zero, I don't think that those investors will lose their sleep over it. So either it was that money or it was money of, you know, Pakistani diaspora who wanted to invest just because they wanted to support Pakistan and B, they wanted to be involved with Pakistan. So again, very similar kind of money which you would give to a Shokat Khanam or a Citizen Foundation. You don't really care if if it goes to zero because you're doing it for for other other non-commercial reasons. Yes, if it makes you a return, you're happy with it, but you just want to be involved in Pakistan. There were many, many such checks which were being written and from people who uh, are close to me and you know, friends of mine. And uh, so, I, I, and the third kind of investors who were investing, um, who invested in the later part of the cycle, and these are Pakistani local families, they perhaps got it wrong. They are, they are the ones who will probably complain right now. These guys thought that, you know, this is some, easy money-making thing that, you know, I invested in a startup at a million valuation and, you know, three months later, it goes to 100 million or 50 million. So, you know, uh, so let's put some money in that. And I I, I think these are the guys who will uh, complain and who will um, um, have, you know, most to lose because um, they really got it wrong. Because otherwise, if you look from a purely investment perspective, and as you said, like I, I've been investing for the last 20 years, not in Pakistan, but in, in, in Europe, you know, most fund managers have seen a good fund manager, you would expect him to have seen multiple cycles. So, you know, the most famous emerging markets fund manager, his name is Mark Mobius. He used to be at uh, Templeton and now he runs his own business, uh, Mobius Capital Partners. He's 92 years old. So, so there's a reason why, you know, fund managers are typically uh, you will trust the old fund manager who would have seen multiple cycles because you know that he has learned his lessons. He probably he remembers the Mexican peso crisis, which many of my listeners probably have no clue about. If you don't, Google it and read about the Mexican peso crisis and what it did to the Latin American economies. And in the case of Pakistan, most of the fund managers of VC funds are first-time investors. So a typical, it, it, I think... It, it will be rare for a first-time investor to raise proper money from serious LPs who like, you know, the pension funds and the serious, like the guys who look at, and they wouldn't pass the first round of uh, DD requirements. So, so coming back to your question, I, I think that 
the money which was coming to pakistan was coming because we were globally in an environment where risk taking was on there was negative interest rates these people have lost more money in crypto perhaps even more money in 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 in, in other markets as well and pakistan will be no different what is different for pakistan is as you rightly pointed out that um uh, the winter will long last longer because in certain cases there was frauds um and proportionately uh, that's a bigger portion of the overall failure compared to the overall money which is being raised so perhaps it will take a longer time period for the same cycle to return so uh, on that cycle right like what what are you thinking or seeing or or sort of looking at for the next 12 to 18 months the point that you made for example on the sort of you know pakistani diaspora investing thinking of this either like a shiba inu or meme coin or you know giving a donation so to speak to me that strikes as a as struck as a problem because on two reasons one if you're looking at it as like a meme coin type investment, you're fundamentally undisciplined. Uh, and if you're looking at it as a donation, you're looking at it as like, you know, there's going to be no return. It's fine. It's serving some other altruistic purposes. On both those sides, it's, it's incentivizes lack of discipline on the startup uh, and, and broadly speaking on the ecosystem, which is not great. My theory has been that the next 12 to 18 months in Pakistan will show us who the entrepreneurs are that are capable of growing with discipline, which is what startup ecosystems thrive on, right? If you're an entrepreneur that can expand and grow and take care of market opportunities with discipline, using capital very frugally, so to speak, uh, not just burning cash, then you will thrive. Um, do you agree with that perspective? Like what are things that you're looking for that says, you know what, I've been around the block long enough and in this down cycle, perhaps we will discover some diamonds in the rough. So you're right. I, I think that um, the businesses who have raised money, some of them will be able to change their business model, adapt to the new, new reality, cut their costs, and survive. That doesn't mean that the investors who put money in them will still make a return. Um, I'll give you, you know, you can go back other cycles, right? Like telecom, uh, if you go back in 90s, um, when the telecom uh, boom happened and Pakistan, global telecom com companies entered Pakistan, those telcos, the, the valuations they paid, they never, they are one fourth of the, those same companies are now at one fourth of that valuation. Then in the mid 2000s, there was a similar rally in the banking sector stocks. MCB was able to sell 40% stake in, in the bank at more than four times book value. Today, MCB trades at less than book value. Um, so, so while the bank has been able to run and of course make profits and generate good returns, Maybank never was able to get the same kind of um, valuation, the valuation which it paid. Um, so, so, so to, your, to, to answer your point, I'm, I'm confident that many businesses will be able to use the cash which they raised to make a business out of it. But I doubt that even those businesses will be able to get, attain the valuation at which the investors who put money will be able to generate a positive return. So hence, the, the person you have to blame, if any, is the investor. And as you rightly said that, you know, investments, invest, finance and investment is a field, it's a discipline, right? It, like people study uh, that, they practice it, they get certification. It's actually a regulated 
task. You, in order to be a fund manager and manage other people's money, you need to adhere to certain fiduciary duty. You cannot just go and take people's money and start throwing it wherever you want, which people in the VC space were doing. I'll give you some very basic things. You don't have to like really dig deep. Startup valuations in Pakistan were in dollars. That does not make any sense for a company making revenues in dollars in rupees, costs in rupees, and profit in rupees. So if your business in is in rupees, how can your valuation be in dollar? And if a fund manager is giving you a valuation in dollar, that there's something you know deeply wrong, dislocated with that. So you don't have to go further and dig deeper into what kind of mispricing was happening over here. So I think we need to accept that uh, what this investment was, this investment was exactly a, a, a high risk investment where you were not investing for 20% returns, you were investing for multi-fold returns, the kind of returns which Airlift was promising, you know, somebody invested at 5 million and within six months, the valuation went to 250 million, you know, how can you like, that kind of return you only get in Ponzi or gambling. And that's exactly what it was. And I think it, it, the dollar point is so, so important, right? It's the same problem with Pakistan's debt structure that you're borrowing in dollars to fund assets, uh, infrastructure assets that earn in rupees. And there is a direct devaluation risk problem there, right? Because your local currency and its outflows will lead to a devaluation, which then creates it that much harder for you to pay back that debt. In the in this example, as you said, it's it is it's crazy to for a fund manager to give that valuation in dollars. And even if they did that, I would love to see a, a depreciation risk or a currency risk table that they developed to sort of guard against what they were getting into, right? And if you just hold everything else constant, just in the last couple of months alone, you've lost 30 something percent uh, of your valuation just because the currency has slid, right? And I think that was, again, uh, an evidence, as you rightfully pointed out, of, of investors not approaching things with discipline and, and with sort of like a fiduciary duty of using that money in, in, a, in, a, in a better manner. Um, so I think that I agree with you that that, that has set in. What, what, where do we go from here? Because one perspective, again, that I've been sort of thinking about and would love your thoughts on is that in this downturn, actually, you can build sort of the foundations for the next upturn, right? That, that something better can be developed. What would you like to see happen in Pakistan's startup ecosystem and the technology sector at large, uh, whether on the investment side or on the entrepreneur side, that gives you confidence that, hey, 18, 24 months down the road, when things ease up again a bit, hopefully, hopefully earlier than that, um, that we perhaps have a better, more disciplined ecosystem that can grow further? Yes, uh, great question. And I think um, to a certain extent, um, the investments, the stories like Airlift, they have, they have benefited the, the real ecosystem. Yes, investors will lose all money. They have lost all money. Um, yes, the same investors won't invest again. Um, yes, even in other startups, investors will probably lose money. So the VC funds which were set up will probably never, won't survive this cycle. But they actually did invest this money which helped train people. Um, and um, we have a young population, we need to train them. So the airlift alone had 1,400 people, which is, you know, benefit to the ecosystem because now these guys will go to other, other companies which would be doing better businesses raising money at perhaps more real valuations. 
so collectively any money coming into pakistan and uh, getting invested over here is good for the ecosystem and then these guys have because of the startup capital the likes of google amazon facebook they are they are working more in pakistan because a lot of this capital flew back to them in terms of payments um it has also put pakistan on the road on the map of uh, larger technology companies who might who have started hiring people from here as well and who might in the future uh, uh, might also open local offices and um, eventually might even acquire local startups the second wave of startups which might come so i think that from that perspective we should certainly celebrate as in you know there is a school of thought which is saying that we should celebrate the failure of the startups and i think that's true we should celebrate that um and if it was a folly of the investors that certainly is a folly of those investors it's not a folly of either the entrepreneur or the people working in those companies and you know in the west in, in the global financial systems regulators uh, don't care when if if a few thousand people lose money by speculating in meme coins or in shiba inu or just like they don't care if people lose money in gambling uh, it's the fault of those people and you know maybe they had a lot of money to burn certainly they had a lot of money to burn these were these investors in vc companies were not people who were you know uh, whose wealth would be really damaged if they lose like 5 million 6 million dollars or 10 million dollars so for the overall ecosystem i think whatever happened in the last couple of years is good for pakistan and i think the 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 one key two key points here that i want to go a bit deeper into perhaps is um this cultural issue that i think we have uh, in south asia at large including in pakistan uh, india has changed a bit in the last 10 years or so because of the it, its own burgeoning ecosystem itself um is that you know there's a taboo associated with failure uh whereas if you're in innovation or doing anything related to innovation and research uh failure is a good thing it teaches you a lot more than success does right and that's why um in the US for example um failure is not looked down upon and highly innovative societies don't look down upon failure because they say okay what did you learn can you be better next time and and risk capital will be given to you because that is the experience failure is the best teacher so to speak um do you see this changing in pakistan in terms of this cultural phenomenon that you know we are a bit hesitant to embrace failure um as as a society um do you see it 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 changing anytime soon or are there any green shoots there because to me i think that's the biggest barrier to innovation is that if we're not able to embrace failure then innovation just does not happen yes and i i i'll give you a more complicated answer than what people would think so the startup eco community when we talk about startup community in pakistan um it's a combination of vc investors overseas pakistanis and local investors and local community so it's not just local pakistanis because the startup community is connected through whatsapp channels and forums so it's a, it's actually a global community hence it's three different cohorts similar to what we spoke about earlier now the overseas pakistanis living in san francisco living in new york london singapore those guys who invested for them a big reason was altruism and i think those guys will not really you know they they will probably celebrate even if they have lost money uh, they will be fine with it similarly the vc investors who invested you know uh, from outside of pakistan they already 
were cautious, they were perhaps perhaps they were aware that the chances of success were less than five percent. So again, they will they will be fine with it. But the local investors, the local families who did who invested, I don't think they'll be too 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 happy with it, and I don't think that you we one should expect them to celebrate the failure and like you know, move on because and it's not pakistan specific i think it's an asia culture you don't lose people money um, um are, are even our laws don't allow it you know, if, if, if you lose money you you can be held accountable um uh, you know there is no pro- protection as a loss of a company the directors of companies are often personally liable for losses and business losses uh, according to the laws so i don't think that will end i think that will be a big challenge from this cycle um and um, yeah i think that's something which um messes things if had this only been overseas capital overseas pakistanis overseas vc investment then perhaps the damage would have been lesser uh, but it isn't just that and 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 that brings me to the second debate i've been seeing on social media um there have been stories about the fact that some investors you know probably local ones are asking for a forensic audit um some people are saying regulations must be tightened and do we you know some people have jokingly said is it a nab inquiry or an fia inquiry etc to me that sounds very a very dangerous spot to go on because as we've been talking about in this conversation this was high risk capital uh you are investing in a startup you better know that 9 out of 10 investments go bust and you're looking for 50x multiple on one that makes your day essentially right or makes your entire portfolio moving forward um what's your take on these calls for tighter regulations and and more sort of like onerous requirements from the policy makers on you know over oversight of this ecosystem uh and the calls for that where do you stand on in terms of making this argument because to me it seems like that's the best way to to destroy this entire ecosystem because you're going to have onerous regulations much like the rest of the economy and then that means that compliance burden is too high for innovation to take place yeah it's a, it's a tough one it's a tough one and you're right that the same people when they lose money in in crypto um they don't go and complain right like they, it's not that and most of them did invest in crypto like 20 million pe- people in pakistan lost money in crypto but we haven't heard calls from them that you know i want my money back or i want the regulator to interfere on the contrary perhaps when crypto starts again these guys will go back again in that um uh, but these were businesses these were local businesses um there was no oversight on them they lacked corporate governance um and there were excesses because it was easy capital so, so there was a misalignment of or, or perhaps lacks of ex- different expectations um and um, this will come to haunt uh, this will create a problem as you rightly pointed out and um, you know one group of investors thought they were investing in private equity while they were investing in vc so so unfortunately there is no easy answer to it because uh, on one hand you should hold fraud accountable right like you should hold corruption accountable as that's the overall theme generally of the society in pakistan but i think a fraud would be held accountable anywhere right? even if it was in the us there you know elizabeth holmes was made accountable and people didn't say oh just forget about it like she was a startup like 
let her do her innovation. Um, so even Elon Musk is being held accountable now in a court of law for his violation of what Twitter is saying was an agreement, right? So we, if we extend that same argument, we could say, well, he wanted to do a deal and he walked away. So what? But he broke certain laws in terms of contractual obligations that he signed on. At least that's what Twitter is alleging. Yes, and my my, my fear is, my my fear is that if you don't hold them accountable, then in the next cycle, it's the same guys will like similar. It will encourage more, you know, uh, this is the same kind of behavior. So perhaps some kind of um, uh, discipline is required, whether it comes automatically by natural selection by the market um, or whether it's done by some kind of legal. Unfortunately, in Pakistan, I would never encourage government involvement or I would never encourage any kind of uh, institutional involvement. In fact, in the past, when government used to ask me that, you know, how can we support startup ecosystem? I used to tell them that the best way you can support is by staying away from it. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, they did not stay away from it. It was glamorized. Uh, the president also wanted to talk about it. Imran Khan still wants to talk about it. Like airlift is the best example. Imran Khan tweeted about it, saying that you know this uh, is an example of a great company from Pakistan. So so will you hold? And then technically, you can now hold the former prime minister accountable because he he encouraged people to invest in the company which went bust. So, so, so yes, uh, it's, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. And, and I think it, it, it's that thing, right? Like policymakers at times are very quick to take, you know, success has a hundred fathers and failure has none. So everyone wanted to take credit for the boom when it was happening. And now you don't hear a lot about, well, what about the bus side? And then how are you going to deal with this problem moving forward? You mentioned something interesting in that comment as well, Ali, was that, you know, if there's no accountability, the same people may come back or it incentivizes bad behavior moving forward, uh, which, you know, I would love your thoughts on how should investors, particularly investors who don't fully understand Pakistan and its cultural and economic dynamics, especially those abroad, how should they think about doing due diligence in Pakistan? Because to me, there are a lot of investment opportunities in Pakistan. It is a great place to do business if you're looking for good returns because of the structure of the economy. But it's not an easy place to do business, which means that you a lot of times as, a, as an investor who doesn't fully understand the market, doesn't do, do proper due diligence, sort of end up with, with scams, basically, right? Um, how should an investor approach investing in a market like Pakistan based on your experience and what are some of the best ways to do due diligence in this market given that you know you you use at times information is there information asymmetries involved so um, great question um, the the problems which we have seen which we are talking about in this cycle are no different from the problems we saw in all the earlier cycles in investment not just in Pakistan, but in any emerging market. So, um, you know, we could have been here in 1999 talking about the failure of Morgan Grenfell Fund, Morgan Stanley Pakistan Fund, JP Morgan Pakistan Fund. We would be talking, we could be talk sitting over here in 2008 and talking about the failure of Dalton Strategic Pakistan Fund, Abraj Overseas Pakistan Fund, or in 2017 talking similar about, you know, the fund which OPEC Pact. So, uh, in each of the cycles, the failure has been that, and it's an it's an institutional fail, it's an incentive failure because Pakistan is not a big market. Typically, the fund managers who end up raising money for Pakistan funds are typically first-time fund managers 
who will not get, who have no experience in fund management. Because if you want to run a $50 million Pakistan fund, the economics on that is not worth the time and effort of a larger asset manager. So typically what happens is that if you are in an asset management company, the senior fund manager would, would be looking at larger markets and the junior most, the young guy would be assigned to a small market like Pakistan because if you're charging a 1% fees on a $50 million fund, that's not big enough economics for any serious investor to do that kind of work. So, so unfortunately, we end up with fund managers who have little experience. This is exactly what happened in this cycle. Most of the VC funds, they were first-time fund managers who had no experience for a very little experience of both Pakistan as well as of knowledge of Pakistani's business cycle. So hence the output which happened was exactly similar to what happened in 99, in 2008, in 2017. And if we get the same thing back again in the next cycle, I think the same thing will happen. How can we solve it? And in the same way, we'll, we, how global LPs, global asset allocators globally solve for this problem, which is that they only give money to investors who have experience of a certain duration. Um, um, that's how it works. Like, you know, um, anywhere, a first-time first fund manager would always struggle to raise money, which is why typically a first-time fund manager ends up raising money from friends and family. Um, which automatically means uh, the chances of failure are much higher. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost like survival of the fittest, right? So if you survive the 99-2008-17 cycle and now 2022 cycle, that should allow you to get even more money because you have a track record of saying, hey, I understand this market and here's how we approach it. And I think even for the junior fund managers, um, perhaps some humility is warranted, right? To listen to those who have been around the block for a longer period of time and sort of, you know, sit closer to them and, and get advice and input. And times that doesn't happen as well, because there's just a doggy dog world sort of mentality to some of this as well, especially when there's a up cycle and, and that creates a problem. Um, last question for you, Ali, this has been wonderful. And before I let you go, um, wanted to ask you one thing I've noticed in my generation, right? I graduated undergrad in 2010. Um, my classmates, so to speak, in Pakistan and abroad <clears throat> wanted to, if they were returning to Pakistan in this instance or were in Pakistan, would want to work at Standard Chartered, Engro, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, like blue chip companies, right? Nice job, good benefits. They would, they would have a good recruiting cycle, et cetera, good management training programs, all of that. What I see now in sort of the next generation, including with my cousins and others, the younger people that I know in Pakistan, they want to be entrepreneurs and they want to sort of take things into their own hands, build something themselves, disrupt, and all of these things are catchphrases, but it is, it is a shift in mentality as well, um, which to me is great because we need disruption in the economy of Pakistan because it's a very stagnant rent-seeking economy. But you also need these people to understand that there are certain keys to success. So would love your thoughts on what would you tell younger people who are either aspiring to be entrepreneurs or want to be associated with high growth, high risk companies because they see a better path forward for their careers and for their own profession in that. How do you succeed? What, what would you tell them in terms of thinking about being in this space long term, not just for a couple of years? Uh, uh... Unfortunately, my views will be very different from uh, the uh, uh, popular views. So, which is why I asked you this question. 
<laughs> you'll make me very unpopular. Uh, I'll lose a lot of uh, LinkedIn connections. <laughs> you'll probably get trolled on Twitter. Um, but uh, I think the part of the question answer is in your question. Uh, in your question, you mentioned in the end that you know long term rather than short term. Um, so persistence is really important. Um, same thing what we were discussing in the earlier question that if a fund manager can survive this cycle and not give up and leave and go back to um, uh, America or wherever he came from, then they have a better chance of survival. So, but typically this doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in all the earlier cycles because in all the cycles, the offshore money was managed by an offshore guy, uh, either a Pakistani who was abroad or a non-Pakistani. So what happened is as soon as the cycle ended, he, he got redemption, he or she got redemptions, they closed the fund and moved on and did something else after that. And I fear that for more for many people, the same thing will happen because it won't make commercial and economic sense for them to wait for the next cycle. Then the next cycle might come after 10 years, it might come after five years. So that's the problem. And that's why typically most LPs, they invest in asset management, they give their money to large asset management platforms who have a longer history. So not only they don't back first-time fund manager, they also don't back first-time asset management companies, which is why globally what you have seen is the top five asset management companies have become trillion-dollar asset management companies. So there has been a massive consolidation in the asset management space where BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, um, Alliance Bernstein, the top five ones, have trillion-plus assets and smaller asset managers have died down. So whatever we are talking about in Pakistan is no different from globally. Now coming to your question in terms of uh, what should uh, people, how should people get, plan their career and whether they should jump into entrepreneurship for creating disruption. One thing that they should always remember is that creating disruption by definition, disruption means going and disrupt something, like you know taking something away from somebody and and uh, taking it for you. Now, in a country like Pakistan, that's very difficult and might also be dangerous. So it's not just difficult, it might be uh, a wrong thing to do. As, in, as, as a startup uh, founder, do I really want to go and disrupt a bank? Do I really can? Is that even rational or possible? Can I, if I'm doing something, a business in, let's say, uh, packaging, can I go and disrupt Sayyid Babarali and his, his empire? Can I dis uh, disrupt um, Mia Mansha in, in, in his, his domain? I will not, I, I will not bet on that, like, you know, unless I have more money than they have, and unless I have more connections than they have, and unless I have, you know, stronger partners than they have, uh, which, you know, uh, I, I would suspect that most startups uh, won't have that, even if they are, you know, if even if they have the top VC fund investor from the US. So um, expecting that that you can disrupt requires a lot of hubris, which was of course the problem which is which has led us to here. So which means that doesn't mean that you cannot do business. Of course, and, um, that means that your business needs to be collaborative. That means your business needs to be supportive and extending whatever these guys have created. Um, but that first means that you need to understand what these guys have created. Uh, you cannot just, you know, graduate out of university and say, I'll do a lending business because these banks are all stupid because they don't know what they're doing. And I, I, without any experience and without any knowledge, I have something which can make me disrupt the banks and destroy the profit pools which they have created. And then, uh, I think the investors who believe in that have, uh, I, I, I don't know what they, they were they smoking. Um, 
Um, so the same for every single sector. If you think that you can disrupt um, the large logistics company and logistics, I think that you might be on the wrong path. It might be better first to, yes, if you have worked in that sector and you have certain knowledge, you have certain technology, you have certain IP, you have certain differentiating factor, a competitive advantage, which allows you to do something better than them. Um, and hence you can disrupt them, you know, then of course you should go for it. But what I, unfortunately what I saw in Pakistan was, you know, startup founders with no technical knowledge, with no IP, with no patents, you know, how many, how many patents has airlift filed for? They had 1,400 engineers. What's the technology they made? Like, you know, so if you look at Israel, you look at the US, uh, the base, the foundation of their startups, even like, you know, look at Google, the base was made on a technology innovation and IP which they had developed, which gave them the competitive advantage, which helped them gain market share compared to large and disrupt larger companies. Disruption was not built on just having more money because again, these what these there was a lot of hubris that the VC investors thought that they have more money and the local family don't. And then that was just very, very naive. Uh, uh, you know, VC investors coming in with $30 million and thinking that that's a lot of money because Pakistan is a poor country. Uh, no, I, this is, this is awesome. Yeah, and, and also like, I think the hubris part is, is so on point, right? I remember having some conversations with folks who wanted to, let's say, disrupt um, retail um, or wanted to disrupt uh, banking by providing small business credit, right? And then I would ask them, I would be like, okay, are you in Karachi? Oh, no, I'm in Lahore. Okay, if you're in Karachi, have you spent a month in Jodia Bazaar looking at gray-haired, sitting, shadowing gray-haired seats in terms of how they do business or going to an Arkali market or Kapra market to understand how SMBs work? And the answer would be no. And I'm like, then you don't understand the market you're trying to disrupt, right? First, you have to understand, like, there is something to be said about a Satan and Arkali who spent 40 years and before that learning from their grandfather and their father on how to do business and surviving the ebbs and flows of Pakistan's very volatile economy to be rich, right? And, and you have to have some humility there to say, okay, there may be some gaps in how they're doing business, but if they survive for 60 odd years in that bazaar, which is hyper competitive, they must be doing something right. Um, and so let's learn from that, right? But if you haven't, if you haven't gone to one of these small warehouses to understand how they guard against theft, you will have what the airlift story told us, right? That iPhones, people were buying cheap iPhones and selling them in the electronics bazaar uh, for a nice profit, 5,000 rupees or whatever that number was. So I think that hubris is, is, is a big problem. And I think you're absolutely right on the second point as well, that the first place of innovation has to be technological. Like what is your IP that is so unique that you, know, you can change the course of business in your society and that creates a moat. And if you don't have a moat and if your moat is essentially running negative cash margins, gross margins, then anybody can do that. The, 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 the guy in Jodia Bazaar will be like, that's what you want to do, go for it. We'll see 20 years down the road who survives and who doesn't, right? And I, I'm glad that you were blunt and honest in, in sharing that because I think a lot of people don't sort of communicate that out um, and, and realize that Pakistan is a big economy. Its bazaars are very competitive. And if you want to you know, disrupt and engage with that bazaar, first understand how that dynamic operates. Uh, and, and we sort of write that off for some reason. But Ali, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Um, 
we'll probably have you on again to talk about the broader economy at some point because that's something top of mind for both you and me uh, but thanks for sharing your perspective on the startup ecosystem and wish you all the best my pleasure and thank you for calling me thank you